raised hands up to you, Father, uh, to say that we release whatever is keeping us from really loving you, uh, from embracing who you are and what it is that you've done for us. We thank you, God, that uh, you welcome us with open arms. Um, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we are or are not bringing to the table, because we're not bringing a lot to this deal, but God, you welcome us. You saved us. You made us free to be with you forever. Father, help us uh, to understand just how great that cost. Help us to not be so trivial about sin because the cost to you was your life, a death we could never pay. Help us to not look at sin and say, oh, it's just a little sin. It's a big sin because you paid the price for us. But because you love us, you lay down your life for us. So, Father, help us to embrace the cost of our sin in exchange for your life and have openness and honesty and humility as we approach your great throne to seek you, to learn from you, to worship you, to follow you, and to serve each other in your kingdom. In the name of your Son, amen. You may be seated. I got to tell you, as we continue our series in 1 John, when I'm writing a sermon during the week, I like it a lot better when I'm reading about what the scripture says, and I think, yeah, these people need to hear that. I don't like it when I read it and it says, man, Joe, you need to hear that. I'd rather be something that you guys need to hear and not me. Rarely does that happen, though. I'm Joe Davis, uh, one of the pastors here. We're continuing in our series in 1 John. We've titled the series, So Our Joy is Complete, because John says that's the reason he writes this book. And uh, today we're calling it The Joy of Confession. In fact, confession is a powerful thing in the life of a child of God. First of all, it's evidence of the direct intervention of Heavenly Dad into your heart and your life. It is the result of that intervention. It is not some religious culmination. It is the result of supernatural intervention. It's the first step <clears throat> to the full joy, <clears throat> excuse me, that John talked about in verse 4 that we talked about last week. Yet as powerful as the idea of true confession is, we seem to shy away from it, especially in a public setting. But frankly, it's the most precious moment in the history of our walk with Christ. That moment where we recognize our depravity and confess it to heavenly dad, yet for some reason it is rarely taught in churches today. We'd rather focus on the positive mental attitude sides of the gospel and not about the redemption side. But today we're going to learn about confession. We're going to participate in confession. Uh, yes, I've picked some of you out to confess your sins to the church. I'll be bringing the microphone to you later. Relax, it's okay. We could just, I was joking around with Doug the drum, we could just hand him the microphone, it would cover it for everyone. That's what he said. But, but we're going to experience joy from it today. So let's look at our passage from 1 John. It's verses 5 through 10. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
<clears throat> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So as we do here at Grace Life, we're going to break up this passage in three sections. First of all, the historical application. I know you guys are bored when you see the word Gnostic up there again. Come on, Joe, three weeks in a row, give me a break. But this week we're talking about Gnostic enlightenment because it is the historical context with which John wrote this book. Because the Gnostic concept of salvation, like other Gnostic concepts, is very sneaky and very subtle. And here's basically what the Gnostics taught about salvation. We don't need redemption from our sin, but rather redemption from our ignorance, of which sin is a consequence, because sin is part of the illusion of the ignorance of what the physical world around us really is. Ignorance that is captivated by the illusion of this world. Obsession with the physical world. The physical world is just you not recognizing what true spiritual truth is. We simply just need for redemption to wake up from this nightmare and be enlightened about what the world really is. This goes hand in hand with the teaching we talked about in the first week where they, the, the Gnostics taught that Jesus wasn't really a physical being. It was just kind of a mirage to kind of fool us so he could interact with us and teach us object lessons. They also taught that Jesus did not really suffer because he wasn't really a, a real human. And so the suffering was just an object lesson. He didn't really have to die for our sin. It was just to give us an idea of what sacrifice could be like. This happens when our ignorance, they believe, is dispelled by one of the messengers of light. By the way, Christ was just one of them. A messenger of light will come and explain to you the true nature of the world around you and help you see that your obsession with how you feel in this world emotionally, physically, socially, all those things is just you not really understanding a higher plane of spiritual truth. And Christ's work of salvation is not by the cross or his suffering or his death, but it's merely his example and his tremendous teachings. The Gnostics called this the path of enlightenment. And so that's why when we talk about the path of enlightenment that John was battling, this teaching that he was battling in, in Ephesus in the area at the time, he uses the phrases darkness and light in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. <clears throat> he uses knowledge of their heresy and their teachings to draw contrast between the Gnostic teachings and then the apostolic teachings by using their own terms. And he says, no, 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 let me explain to you. What they're teaching is actually darkness. What we are teaching is actually light. See, what made this teaching, this Gnostic teaching so deadly is how it was packaged using apostolic terms that they would redefine. They tried to redefine what light was, recognizing that sin isn't real, it's just a mirage. He explains that their actual path of light is actually a path of darkness. And he says that in verse 6. John teaches that the actual path of light is the exact opposite of what the Gnostics taught. It is recognizing that you are depraved. Not recognizing that I'm not really sinful. It's recognizing, man, I am hopelessly sinful. 
As a matter of fact, just so you, in case you don't believe me, he mentions sin six times in just these five verses. So he really drives home the idea that what he is addressing is this Gnostic teaching that sin isn't real. Yes, it is. I'm telling you six times in a very short few verses that it's definitely real. And if you don't believe it's real, you are walking in darkness and you make Jesus a liar. So why does this matter? Why are we talking about this ancient Gnosticism again, Joe? See, I want you to understand something. The Gnostics considered themselves Christians. They considered themselves part of the church. They just had a little different twist is all. I mean, can't we all get along? But with apostolic authority, John declares they most definitely are not part of the church. Theirs is a different gospel. He explains that the denial of depravity disqualifies you from fellowship with God and his people. And the Gnostic gospel is not a path to light or fellowship with God, but rather a lie from the enemy seeking to deceive and separate us from one another. Paul had the same concerns, as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. We studied this a few months ago uh, in our seven-year series on 2 Corinthians. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than one that we have proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you have received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you've accepted, you seem to put up with it readily enough. Paul was battling the same people. As a matter of fact, John says their teachings result in darkness and disconnection from God. <clears throat> Joe, why do you keep talking about the Gnostics in 2018, dog? What's going on with you? I asked Megan, I said, Megan, is it too much for me to keep talking about the Gnostics? And she pointed out, no, it's the same stuff we hear today. It's just packaged a little differently. This, today, the way it's packaged is this idea of progressive theology. And it's infesting many churches, several in our own town. They won't say, that. oh, we're Gnostics. Come to First Gnostic Church of Sarasota. That's not what they say. They masquerade as part of the fellowship of the body of Christ, but they are not. John says, if you don't believe in your sinfulness, you aren't part of the fellowship. So that's the history of the passage. You can understand why it's important for you to understand what John is battling. And let's look at the spiritual application. What about God? What does he do and why and how is he doing it? Today, we're going to focus on the spiritual concept in 1 John of understanding our sinfulness. I'm going to give you a definition. It's long, so don't try to memorize it, but just read it. Total depravity. It's a consequence of the fall of man. Every person born into the world is enslaved to the service of sin as a result of their fallen nature and apart from the grace of God is utterly unable to choose to follow God, refrain from evil, or accept the gift of salvation as it is offered. In other words, our depravity is so expansive that we can't even choose to follow God unless God intervenes and enables us to. Because if you believe that you're sinful, but somewhere deep down in your own accord, you have the ability to stop and make a choice and follow, then you're not really totally depraved. You're just like 90% depraved and 10% good. 
The scripture teaches that we are completely depraved. So this is the idea of walking in the light. He says this in verse 7. Just read it for you again. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And so this idea of walking in the light, we have to understand, is the first key to full joy. He says, I write these things so your joy may be full. And the first thing he addresses is understanding the severity of our own sinfulness. See, that's what the light is designed to show us, our sinfulness. And if you are one that looks to the Bible for truth, you cannot, in good conscience, deny its pervasive teachings about total depravity. I have some verses I'm going to read to you. Uh, Romans chapter 5, 12, Jeremiah 17, 9, Psalm 51, 5, and Isaiah 64, 6. I could have listed about 70, but we only have about half an hour. Let me just read a couple to you. Romans 5, 12. Paul writes this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul makes it very clear. All it took was one, and it messed it up for everything. In Jeremiah 17, 9, here's what the prophet says. The heart is deceitful of all things, above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? He says, you don't even recognize. You, are even, you aren't even able to understand just how wicked and depraved your heart is. You can't understand it on your own. We are so depraved, we can't even calculate it without outside help. I love what David says in Psalm 51. David says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother gave birth to me. He says, I wasn't born and then later became sinful. I came out a sinful baby. From the very beginning, I was sinful needing redemption. Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind sweep us away. <clears throat> Those are some of the more poetic examples of total depravity in scripture. Trust me, they're all over the place. Google it sometime. I mean, if you want to be encouraged, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so now let's talk about forgiveness through Christ. The good news is the scripture doesn't just leave us hopeless in our depravity. John declares the cure as well in first, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what I decided to do is I wanted to pick a couple of verses one from Jesus and one from Paul. And by the way, there are hundreds to choose from here too. I just picked two. One of them is the one that we use all the time when we're doing the Lord's table. And this is from Jesus. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this represents my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus makes it very clear there. The Gnostics are way off track. 
Jesus did not die as an object lesson. He died and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. He says it himself. To say anything else is foolish and silly. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And thank goodness he lavished it because our depravity is so great it would take nothing short of a lavishing to take care of it. Not just a ceremonial sprinkling, it needs a lavishing. A dousing, a drowning in grace. So that's the theological side of what I wanted to share with you today. Our depravity and our cure from it. Now let's look at the personal side. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this passage? I've entitled this, Why We Love Confession. I hear some laughing. Somebody, why do we love confession? I don't love confession. Wait, you like confession, Pastor Joe? I want to talk about first the light switch component of confession. See, you can't have life and light without recognizing you are first dead in sin. Matter of fact, last week, Paul, uh, one of the things we learned is, Paul says, how can something be resurrected until it's dead first? And we cannot have light and life and full joy without first recognizing our sinfulness. Do you remember the first time that you had a grasp of your own depravity? The very first moment where you said, you know, there's something dark down in there with me. That's not good. I better start trying to figure out a way to cover that up a little bit. I can't act like this in public. <laughs> Do you remember that moment the light of spirituality was flipped on by the Spirit of God? The funny thing is we don't control the light switch. It's always flipped on by God. But there was that moment where he flipped on the switch in your heart, in your life, that moment that you recognized that your state isn't imperfection. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's not that you struggle. It's just that you are absolutely, completely depraved. When supernatural enlightenment from the Holy Spirit who calls you to repentance, because frankly, think about it, you have no reason to repent if you don't see your own depravity. If your problem is just you don't recognize the spiritual world well enough, then there's no reason for confession. But the great thing is about that moment, that light switch moment, it's not a moment that can be planned, managed, or manipulated. Trust me, if I could manipulate it out of you, I would. And it can't be defined by human effort or intelligence. It's not something you figure out on your own. It is a supernatural intervention in your life where God reveals when you're walking in the light, man, I am depraved totally and I need confession and cleansing. And what is great about that light switch moment is we have no other response able to make but to make room for it when it hits us upside our heart. That's the only response we can have. It's called irresistible grace. Because think about it, if you truly have been enlightened about your depravity, the only solution is, man, I am depraved. God, please rescue me from it. Amen. And that brings us to another part of why I love confession. It's that unspeakable joy. <clears throat> I got to tell you, there is 
it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? But there is full joy in seeing your own depravity and your need of grace from a compassionate, sympathetic Savior who has been tempted in every way you have been. Frankly, it is the moment we begin to heal. In fact, for joy on this earth to be full, we must arrive at that place. Because joy does not come from denying our depravity, but embracing it together and seeking healing from Christ for it. But it's not just the confession that brings the joy. It's the healing through Jesus who is faithful and just, as John says, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from that depravity and unrighteousness. Because light on our depravity, when light is shown on our depravity, it brings this overwhelming sense of relief and joy. Oh, that's the problem. I'm depraved. I've been wondering why I suck so bad. Now I know. It brings overwhelming joy through our reliance on the faithful forgiveness of Jesus and his work on the cross. The blood he said himself he shed for our sin. <clears throat> that moment, our hope is no longer in this world or the things in it or even in our own knowledge or righteousness. It is that sweet, sweet moment that cannot be explained with words. It's an experience only the redeemed can understand. Those who don't understand the depravity can't understand and experience the joy of redemption and confession. And there's something else about confession that I love that's a result of the light switch and the joy. It is this community with the redeemed. John says it in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and the light shows our, our sinfulness we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin he ties the two together confession because of the light showing our depravity brings us together we have fellowship with one another in contrast to those who don't walk in the light and don't think sin is their problem we can't have fellowship we can be friendly we can love them we can care for them but true sweet lasting, redemptive fellowship comes from those who have been redeemed. Amen. Confession of our natural state brings us closer together for the fellowship that we crave. I mean, think about it. Other than the fact that I had been redeemed from my depravity, why would you guys like me in the first place? Oh, you think that's funny? The same goes for you. I mean, some of you are Gator fans, for goodness sakes. I don't want anything to do with you. But God has redeemed you. He's shown you your depravity. You've confessed it, so I love you. It's supernatural. It really is. But there is this intimate vulnerability through confession that creates a connection, frankly, the world cannot understand or offer. Doesn't even come close. A common bond between those cleansed by the blood of Jesus, walking in the light of our own depravity, as well as the light of forgiveness through Christ. A supernatural warming of our hearts when we are together. 
celebrating our Christ-centered forgiveness. That's why it's important to not forsake the gathering of yourselves together because when you do that, you deprive yourself of the full joy of celebrating your redemption with the fellow redeemed. It, it's what makes our fellowship at its core so supernatural, so enduring, and so precious. It's why this grace life becomes so appealing. It's the core of what brings people together as a church family. Without it, all we are is a lodge group. And not a very good one at that. We don't even have our own building. <laughs> But when we are walking in the same light, knowing together we are sinners saved by the work of Christ, together as we embrace our depravity and receive mercy, we can celebrate it. Because I will tell you, for a church to have fellowship together around forgiveness, it must experience the joy of confession together as well. Frankly, church, this is the core of what we had in mind when we started this church called Grace Life, a church founded upon intimate vulnerability and reliance and the common ground of forgiveness together for our depravity through Jesus Christ. So today, whether you have been walking in the light for decades and you've known you were pretty bad for a long time, Maybe you've only known about your depravity for a year. Maybe today is the day the light switch is flipped on. I don't know. But what I am going to do is I'm going to invite everyone in this room as a community of redeemed to have fellowship together in a prayer of confession as we walk in the light. And we are going to read it together. What I have done is I've taken Psalm 51 and I have paraphrased it. I've changed. David wrote this when he was confronted with his depravity. So I've changed it from singular to plural. I've taken some of the older words and made them more modern so you can understand them. And I've just kind of rewrote it for Grace Life today. And I'm going to put the words up on the screen. And you're going to follow me along as I read it. I want you to stand. Stand up now. I want you to stand and I want you to read it aloud. What we're going to do is we're going to begin to understand the full joy of fellowship by participating in confession together. Read with me. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. <clears throat> Wash us thoroughly from our depravity. Cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is undeniable. We have sinned against you alone and done what is evil in your sight. You would be justified and blameless if you were to judge us. We were born in sin and in sin we were conceived. Behold, you delight truth in the inward being and you teach us wisdom in the hidden parts of our hearts. Purge us through the blood of Jesus and we shall be clean. Wash us and we shall be whiter than snow. Give us joy and gladness as the bones of our human arrogance are broken. Hide your face from our sins. Blot out all our iniquities. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within us. Don't expel us from your presence. 
Don't take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation and sustain us with your merciful spirit. Amen.